Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak. Um, audiovisual, I'll just point to you to switch the slide. If I can get my first one up there, that'd be awesome. Well, thank you, pa- uh, Pastor James and the fellowship for uh, Willard Nazarene and those who are allowing me to speak here today. Uh, I have had a great opportunity to be able to serve with this uh, local body in a multitude of times and a multitude of ways. And every time it's a blessing to be able to serve the church where I can. That is correct. I've been serving with Child Evangelism Fellowship for um, now 10 years, a decade. I was once told, I always say a decade. It makes it sound more profound than 10 years. Just don't say I've been alive for, you know, I wasn't alive, but someone says I've been alive for six decades or half a century. It starts to look real bad. <clears throat> for those of you who are kind of waiting for them slides, they're fighting them up there. But uh, <laughs> I want to take a moment today to share two things. I'm not going to spend the entire time on CEF because I'm a firm believer that um, Sunday is designed for the worship and glory and honor of God. And while missions were able to present some of those elements, ultimately I want to get back into God's word. So if I can get my first slide up there. It's every, maybe? Bueller? Oh, it is up there. Ha <laughs> ha. Great. This is going to be fun. All right. I serve with Child Evangelism Fellowship. If, if anyone ever heard of an elevator pitch before? Elevator pitch for Child Evangelism Fellowship's 30 seconds. What is CEF? CEF is a parachurch mission organization. It means we're not connected to a specific church, but we have a evangelical statement of faith that is threefold purpose, which is to evangelize, disciple, and establish children. If it was our goal that every child comes to know the Lord, that they're discipled through us, but ultimately they are placed in a Bible-believing church like this. Ultimately, our vision is every child to hear the gospel, every nation, and that they have time with God every day. Now you're going to hear a bunch about me and about the ministry and about God's word. So I just want to hand it over to AV crew on a video that will explain it a little better because, you know, I'm a visual person, so.
Since 1937, that's right, 1937, some may know that year, but in 1930, since 1937, CEF has been serving the church, standing alongside the church, presenting the gospel to children in a clear and concise manner. Child Evangelism Fellowship, <clears throat> Child Evangelism Fellowship on an annual basis. Some of you are statistic-driven people. Anyone a numbers person? I'm a numbers person. 15.6 million children annually. Prior to COVID, CEF was reaching 1% of all children in the world. Along with our brothers and sisters in Christ and churches around the world, that's what we were doing. But let me tell you how I got there. To know my story, to know me, to know my story, is to share a part of his story, God's story. <clears throat> Raised in a morally ethical household, as much as morally ethics you can present, father, part of the army, very strict, great home. But I was in just as much dire problems as any other child because I was still lost. I would go to VBSs. We were part of that Christmas Easter crowd too. You ever been in the Christmas Easter crowd? The, the house place, this whole place fills up during Christmas and Easter. And then about three weeks later, it goes back to where we were prior. I was part of the Christmas Easter crowd. But when I was a child, I was down in the children's department and we did coloring books and people would say, Jesus died for your sins. And that's about the extent of what I was told. Grew up, went to VBS. Oh, you're, you're going to get a workout today. Went to VB, uh, I went to VBS, but my parents both worked and I could go to the first, the second and the third day of VBS now, if anyone's looked at VBS curriculum, there's five days of VBS curriculum often. Day one, they tell you who God is. Day two, they tell you who you are in sin. Day three, they tell you what Jesus did. But I was never there for day four and day five. Day four is what they call appropriation. They ask, do you trust Jesus as the only way to have your sins forgiven? No one ever personalized that. No one said, what about you? It was all about us. It was about the general public. It was about the world and who we were, not who I was. So I'd gone the entire way throughout my childhood hearing bits and pieces of the gospel. Until one day I was at a youth event, and I won't tell you the facts that got me around there. Let's just say there was a lady and she was pretty and I followed her in. Some of you have similar stories. But I went to this youth event, and it was very clearly presented, the gospel. Who God is, who we are, what Christ has done, and ultimately, what should I do with this information? And tear-filled eyes, and trust me, I'm not a big crier. Tear-filled eyes, I accepted Jesus as my Savior at 15 years old. And when three months later had passed, I was offered by the church as a teenager, to go serve as a summer missionary, to attend what we call Christian Youth in Action, a teenage training school where we learned to present the gospel to children. You mean teenagers? Yes. Teens, 15, 16, 17-year-olds, presenting the gospel, presenting the Bible lesson to a young child so that way they may learn. It was there I learned the story of Noah. Let me tell you, my first experience of Noah was not that it was a floating zoo. 
more like the Ken Ham picture where you go, if you've ever gone to the Ark Encounter, there's this little room that says, no, it's nothing like that. That the Ark was the only way to be saved from the flood. And Jesus is the only way to have our sins forgiven. I was blessed with the opportunity to serve with CEF. God pushed, uh, I, I was like, God, uh, one day I was sitting in the back of a church, the church I attended, that came to know the Lord in. And when I did that, when I did that, I sat, you know, at the baseball field and said, God, what am I to do? As a, as a junior in high school, and some of you are junior seniors in high school, what's the number one question you're always asked? What are you going to do after high school, right? What are you going to do after high school? What are you going to do next? What are you going to do with your life? I couldn't answer that. So I went to the one place that I knew I could answer that. I went to the Lord. I said, God, what do you have for me to do? And he says, not a verbal or auditory thing. He shows me in scripture that I am to present the gospel to every living creature. Make disciples. Don't let another child be like you. Here I am crying. But joyful tears that God used it. So, you think I'll go write the missions, right? Right away? Would love to. But I wasn't ready. My problem was I was still a 17-year-old mentally immature child. (laughs) You should be older, right? I wasn't. So, he sent me where I needed to. Five years in the army later. Oh, yes. That's how you learn how to behave yourself real fast. And also how to get yourself in trouble, too. But I was blessed to learn some of the skill sets that I use today. And that's how God used the army for it. How to work with people. How to be a leader. How to organize. How to plan. And ultimately, how to serve. When I got out, while I was there, I was blessed to marry my wife, whose father also serves in CEF, whose mother presented the gospel to her through this little colorful book called The Wordless Book that CEF uses around the world to present the gospel to children. Linked through my entire life and that life now of my bride, with CEF and our family's mission, not just mine, our family's mission is to reach children for Christ. So this past year, as you can see now, my family's a a little bit bigger. Oh, it's a little bit bigger. Some of you may have known me in the past. I was once asked, how many kids do you have? How many kids do you have now? Five, five now. And as you can see by the littlest one, they're not always happy. My littlest one was born in October of last year. Uh, and it was a blessing to be able to have her, uh, but sleep is overrated. My wife, Melissa, my son, eldest Judah, then Joel, then Abigail, or Abby, Jennifer, Jenny, and Katie are my five children. Each one with a value and a heart and not simply a number. I say that because, again, I'm a number-driven person, and maybe some of you are. So when I say we reach 15.6 million children, 
that seems just like a big number. But that's 15.6 million lives. But when I present this next fact, that over 5 million made professions in faith, that's 5 million children's lives eternally changed by God through CEF. Each child matters individually. As you can see on my next picture, some of the wonderful things that we've gotten into in the last year. As you can see, I know she's cute, isn't she? But as I go on to what we in CEF of Ohio has done, there's big CEF, 15.6 million children. Next slide. You'll see what CEF of Ohio has done. There is now 185 good news clubs. Now, I saw it in the bulletin. It says Doug's Bible Club. Doug's Bible Club is a good news club. What is a good news club? It is an hour to an hour and a half long club that meets weekly, that presents the Bible, presents the gospel, a memory verse for hiding God's word into the heart, missions to inspire a child to serve, review game the check understanding, and even songs that present an element for them to learn. Each part of that club is designed for the child to come to know the Lord, be discipled, and established in a Bible-believing church. But we don't do it just then. CEF serves year-round the church. That includes 116 five-day clubs. So imagine taking a VBS and going where the kids are. Going where the kids are. We do that same thing. Sometimes we serve churches as their VBS. We'll make it a five-day club and just add some things to it. Sometimes we'll go to the summer feeding programs. Here in Willard, I've done many of those things. We had VBS. We served this church as a VBS. We even did five-day clubs here. If anyone remember the Salvation Army, we did at their summer feeding program and other feeding programs here as well. I think at one year we had like four or five good news, uh, five-day clubs here throughout Willard. Not only do we have five-day clubs, but we have fairs and festivals. We've conducted 43 fairs and festivals. Back in the day here in Willard, there's a summer, there's a summer festival. I don't remember what it's called. I think it's in July, near 4th of July time. Uh, festival in the park, I think, maybe. I don't know if it's still going, but Hundreds of children hear the gospel at Festival in the Park. Hope Center puts on the Hope Fest. And guess what we do individually to every child who wants to hear the gospel? Not in a group, together, face to face, asking them and counseling them. So God has really allowed it, but it's not done by us. It's done by tens of hundreds of church partnerships. And more importantly, Over 500 volunteers served with CEF this last year in Ohio. 430,000 worldwide. Those numbers, numbers, don't worry. Some great stories are coming here soon. But I know some of you are numbers people like me. Which gets me excited that God blessed us to reach 18,506 children with the gospel last year. 18,000. 506 children. But more important to that is what God's done through that. 1,694 children gave their life to Christ this last year alone. And we're on pace to absolutely destroy those numbers this year as God continues to bring back many of those ministries. So let's give a round of players, not to us, but to God. Not to us. 
He is the one who works. It comes from a burden. If you remember the video, it says, that is our burden. It is what God has placed on us. It is what God has called us to do, to reach children for Christ. But if you're a person, as my wife always says, who's story-driven, I'm not going to say, tell the whole story, because I can't even do it justice. Let me just put proof in the pudding with this last video I have. Jesus just transforms lives. My name is Daniel Keaton. I am blessed to be the pastor here at Rolling Hills Baptist Church. God has always laid on my heart to be in the schools. And so there's this program that goes into the schools and you get to share Jesus. And I thought, yes, that sounds like a fantastic idea. We are so fortunate and grateful to be able to go in semester after semester and share the good news of Jesus Christ there. I call them the lookalikes, the twins, and we got to know them pretty well in Good News Club and got to just have conversations with them about spiritual things. God has just done amazing things in their life, and they've just taken off for Jesus, and it's just an incredible encouragement to see. Good News Club was handing out a bunch of flyers, and then we saw one, and they were like, hey, this has the word Christian in it. And you're like, hey, Mom, it'd be fun to do something outside of school. And so we got signed up for it. I remember coming in, we always did our theme song. I was like, good news club, good news club, whoa, yeah. I love that song. And we would have this little like pamphlet, and it would have a Bible verse that was to memorize for the next week. When I got pamphlet, Isaiah 48, the grass withers and the flowers fades, but the word of God stands forever. That's actually one of my favorite verses. And I was just like, wow. When I read the word of God stands forever, that just backed up every other verse in the Bible. I certainly was still searching. I was just not sure if it was God. I had lost all of my joy. Um, terrible uh, alcoholic drinking. Um, you'd be surrounded by sin your entire life, and then you come in and you start learning about Jesus and how he became sin for you, and he knew no sin at all. It was telling them that God loves them and God loves us. You know, that. Good News Club. I was like, what's good news? Oh, okay. It's, you know, because of Jesus. <laughs> and then watching them get be so involved, uh, it, it started to draw me in as well. It was also a big, like, shock for, like, our parents to see the change it had in their, like, in their daughters. We start lying to our parents less and less or making excuses for things less and less. And our parents were almost, like, confused <laughs> as if, like, what did you do to my children? Seeing how they were behaving and what they were interested in, and they just were handling things at a very mature level. One Sunday morning after church, me, Abby, and my mom were like just talking about Jesus, and then mom was like, you know, I'm ready to get saved. And we were like, yeah, yeah, we're ready. Now this is a first for us, and so today we're baptizing four members of the same family who have come, amen. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him by baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. (laughs) Right now, 570 days sober. The temptation has been lifted. The taste has been taken away. 
there's more joy now than there's been. I can't even tell you no, just because really. thing everything's fun. I mean things are fun. The change in like our family, mom got less irritated easily. She was more patient with us. Dad got way more patient and in any conflict. Abby, as a public profession of faith in your Lord Jesus Christ and out obedience to his command, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every church should be involved in the schools. Yes. The gospel because Good News Club should be as available as, as available as, as, as French yes. Club. Yes. Or whatever yes. whatever the afternoon. Absolutely. You know, yeah, whatever. Student Council. Is, yeah, boom. Yeah. Kaylee, as a public profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and obedience to his command, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's almost a lack of Christians who don't really feel the need to go and minister to other people. And I think Good News Club really just helps give that push to people. Kids do get saved there, and they get even more information, and they go home and they tell their parents, they tell their friends, they tell their grandparents about it. They want to know, hey, what's this Jesus guy all about? One last thing, make heaven crowded. What a blessing it's been able to uh, see, uh, share with you some of the great stories. Isn't it great to hear it from the actual children? So in 2014, CEF of Ohio's goal is to reach over 20,000 children with the gospel. To hire on two additional staff members. To have over 700 prayer partners across the state. To form a new chapter in Lake Ashtabula counties. And ultimately, to honor God. Later on, I'll discuss more about CEF. Like I said, our burden is to reach children for Christ. What's the burden God has laid upon you? What is the calling God has laid upon you? What are you called to do? There are things all people are called to do. Present the gospel for once. Be hospitable to other individuals. That's everything we always should be doing. But often a burden is laid upon our heart for a works that we are to do in the future. Upon believing Jesus Christ is our Savior, He has given us good works for us to do. Even before the foundation of the earth. For us to do. Today, I'll talk about, for all of you point people who like to write down points, the called, the calling, the response. The called, the calling, the response. I was called to serve and reach children for Christ. Pastor James here was called to be your shepherd here, on, here at Willard Nazarene. We were all called for a purpose. So let's look at who the called must be. You would think this would be pretty self-explanatory, but I'm going to look at three characteristics that are necessary. First, the called, when it comes to the calling that they have, an actual something that, that God is calling them to do, 
They must be saved. They must be said, saved. God's word in Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God, this first step for the first characteristics that we have for the called is that they must be called or saved themselves. Otherwise, could you imagine an individual who goes about presenting the gospel to other individuals with no heart and not save themselves? The number one thing that I find out when I'm doing evangelism classes with churches, one, many new people learn how to present the gospel to children. Shockingly, seemingly shockingly, two, a lot of people come to know the Lord. I'm talking adults in evangelism classes. Because they sit there and realize, I have never trusted Christ. I know that people keep telling me, Jesus, it's all here. It was all here. It was all here. It was all here. It was all here. I know what you tell me happened in fact. I said, knowing is the same as knowing that that chair is right next to you. I can see the chair. I can see that it's maroon, mauve, red, whatever you want to call it. So many people know colors better than me. That chair is there. I know it's there. I can see it. Is that trusting that the chair is there? Is that trusting that it's going to be there for me? No. It's not until I sit in the chair that I'm trusting it. Many people, I know what the Bible tells me, but it sticks here and doesn't make that 16 inches to the heart of the person. <clears throat> First characteristic is that they must be saved. The second characteristic, characteristic, I'll speak English, characteristic is they must be humble. A person who is prideful, not only is in sin, but is not usable. They think they know everything. They know how it goes. They won't learn. They won't go to trainings. They won't be willing to say, you know what? I've heard it a thousand times. I've been a teacher my entire life. That's wonderful. But have you taught God's word to a child? I was in Sunday school class and was reading a God's word about how a teacher of God's word will be held accountable to a higher standard for what we teach. We must be humble. Consider Moses. Moses, uh, in, in a horrible origin story, ends up you know, going down the Nile because you know, all the kids are being killed that are Jews, these young children. He's being placed. He works Thankfully, God's made it so that his mother is able to raise him, but in a household that is not his, but is an Egyptian household. He goes through, lives life, sees how the other Jews are being treated, and ends up killing a person. Every time we talk about Moses, let's not forget his origin story. Could he have been absolutely prideful? Yeah. I was raised and educated. I was raised and educated in this great house and taught by many people. That's not what he did. He saw the needs of his people. He murdered a man and ran. Murdered a man and ran. And after he ran, and God calls him to his calling, which is to bring, the men, bring Israel out of Egypt. He was ready to go right away, right? That's his story, right? He was ready. Boom, let's go. Let's do it. No, he wasn't. 
Me? I can barely speak right. I'm paraphrasing, guys. I'm not direct quoting, but I can't speak right. Send somebody else. Send, some, send, someone, send somebody with me. Enters in Aaron. I can't, I can't do this. He saw his faults, his inabilities. He was humble. He placed God where he should be. Realize this. A person who has a calling on their life must first be saved, but they must be humble because I'm telling you right now, to be humble is to place God where he's supposed to be, which is holy creator who knows all things and can do all things and place us flawed, sinful, and I can tell you very faulted with our skills and our abilities. And when we place ourselves in the right place and realize that, that only through God and his abilities can we even do what he's asking us to do, we learn what grace is so we may bestow grace upon others. We must be humble. Consider Isaiah. Matter of fact, I have a verse on Isaiah. Let's look at Isaiah's uh, going in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 5 and 8. I have it up here. He says, Isaiah, who's going to end up being a prophet, he says, And I said, Woe is to me! Woe is me! For I am lost, for a man, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He recognizes his loneliness, his sinfulness, the sin of other men around him. And says, God, this is, I'm undone. I don't have this ability. And maybe you're sitting there today thinking, I'm great, that's great. God's called you to do all these wonderful things. And, you know, you're, I'm telling you right now, as, as Paul said, I feel like I'm chief among sinners. God is still able to use you because he's the one who set that task before you, not me. Isaiah, a couple verses later, he says this upon the calling of his life. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, referring to Isaiah, here I am, send me. We must be humble. But consider Gideon, my last, my last person to consider when it comes to being humble. Gideon, the threshing floor, hiding, <laughs> all about hiding him. Gideon, this man who's afraid of the, pretty much of his shadow, ends up becoming one of the strongest, bravest men I know, especially as a judge, because he goes through and God gives him, remember, for those who don't know the narrative of the story of his fleece, he take the fleece and he's Lord, if you're wanting me to do this, I'm going to take this fleece, put it out there, and you're going to put it, you're going to actually have it just rain on there, nowhere else. Okay, that worked. Okay, now I'm going to take that fleece again, Lord. If you're really serious this time, round two, I'm going to put the fleece back on there, but this is going to rain everywhere, but not on the fleece. Kept going, Lord. Are you sure, Lord? Are you sure, Lord? Are you sure? And there's a thousand practical applications, but for this point, he realized he could not do it of his own because he did not have the skills, the abilities. He had to be humble. And even when he was given the job, what did God keep saying? Trust me. 
Oh, you have all those people? You called upon all the people of Israel? Yeah, tons and tons of people are going to answer. No, you're not going to use them. First round, anyone who's fearing trembling, go home. It's all right. Just go home. Okay, that would make sense to Gideon, right? You know, if they're fearful, we don't want them in the army, right? If they're trembling, we don't want them in the army. Okay, that makes, wow, that's a lot of people moving. That's a lot of people going. Okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Okay, round two. Okay, now I'm going to go ahead and uh, what seems arbitrary to you, I'm going to take you all down to the river and we're going to remove a whole bunch of more people. And he sits there and he's going to face the enemy with 300 men versus 130,000. Here's a picture. United States Army has 10 active divisions. A division roughly has 20,000 troops. You're talking half of the active divisions in our current day army versus 300 people. I'm going to tell you the odds on that, and it ain't looking good for Gideon and his men. But it was God who ends up doing it. I'm saying this because as we go through, we must be humble. But the third thing we must also be is obedient. Not only do we need to be humble, but notice in the story of Moses, the story of Gideon, the story of uh, Moses, the story of Gideon, and the story of um, Isaiah, at some point they said, you're right, Lord, send me. Abraham, remember, he had to be obedient, obedient, obedient. Now, he doesn't have a perfect track record, ladies and gentlemen. We know that from not trusting the Lord in regards to children. So he's not perfect, and none of these men are. It's one of the greatest parts of, this, of, of the Bible. But he was obedient to leave everything he known upon the word of the Lord. Say, I know you got everything over there, but I have something better for you. Go there. I know that children have been what I, you wanted so much that you were willing to, to, sit, to go out and have children. Not trust me and have children with uh, your hands, uh, handmaids, I think is what they're considered, but have these other children. But I want you to offer your child to me. I want you to go to this mountain and I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham says, as you say, God provided the sacrifice because he is the one who provides it. He was obedient to what the Lord asked him to do. Because if you're not humble, you'll get yourself in the way of the calling. If you're not called, first of all, if you don't know the Lord, you can't even please the Lord. If you're not humble, you won't take instruction how to do your calling. And if you're not obedient, you'll sit there in a pew week after week wondering why isn't God calling me to do something? Here's a secret. He is. Are you obedient? The second is the calling. And I hit the second in the calling, and I want to preface this by saying the verse earlier in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workman, workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do God's, work, God's works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For anyone who's looking for that verse, it's Ephesians 2.10. The calling. It is not based on who you are or the skill set that you have, because I'm going to tell you right now, if you need the skills... God is going to provide it. 
He provides it all. It was not Gideon's skill set to lead 300 men. That was not what he was, that, that's not his. It was not Moses's to speak. He even said it. But to whom did he go? The Pharaoh. He calls us to do things that we are not also, also comfortable for. But what God will do is grow you. It'll be something that he will use their talents, your stretch you at the same time. It'll glorify God as you act in a way that is in line with his son. You may not possess the skills yet, but he will provide them because it's meant also for your good. In Romans 8, 28, the verse on the screen, it says, and we know that for those who love God, that's the call, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We have a purpose. And it's not to live, eat, be married, and die. Because if God did not exist, God's word talks about how we should act. It is to serve, honor, and glorify him. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief high purpose of man? It's honor and glorify him. That's a paraphrase, but someone's got that memorized and is going to be like, that's not exactly what it says. I know. The calling also, the task may be specific, but the location may be temporary. The, the task may be specific. I am called to reach boys and girls of the gospel. God has placed me here in Ohio at this time. He placed me here this was what we call the shoes chapter, Sandusky here on Auto Erie in Seneca, for a time. And he said, now I need you to serve across Ohio. Pastors are sometimes called to serve an area. You are going to be a pastor. Here's where I have you right now. But the Lord sometimes moves them to other places. That is, some, that is true with callings. It may be to serve at a certain place, but it's to a certain task, but maybe a temporary location. Third, I want you to know about it. We, you, I, do not decide the calling. It's not something that we come and say, hey man, I want to, let's all sit here and let's all talk together. What's, what's the best thing for me to do? Now we get advice from our pastor, from our trusted adults, but they're not the ones who decide it. Who decides what we do? Who's the one who does the calling? Who's the one who put the pre, uh, predestined before the beginning the, the tasks that we are to do? So who's the only person who can take you out of that calling? Callings are not jobs. I have hired on in two years in CEF eight different staff members who have felt called or led to serve with CEF. Three of them remain, and here's why. They still saw it as a job. Mission work is not a job. Your calling is not a job. You don't decide when it stops. I had a missionary state director of Connecticut told me, calling versus job, you cannot quit. You can quit a job, but you can't quit a calling. And if you try to, go be Jonah and see how that one works out. I don't want to be looking at no fish that big. Or sea creature. 
That's the calling, but let me talk about the response. You have two options, and they vary on how that option looks, but ultimately there's two of them. The response, and I'm going to go back and forth between the two points, so go ahead and put both points up there. Thank you. Let's look at you can listen to what the Lord has for your calling, or you cannot listen. Let's look at the first two examples. Let's be Saul for a second. Anointed to raise, to lead Israel. But what ends up happening? What I say, one of the characteristics of a call can't be. They can't be prideful, right? They must be humble. Big old Saul looks like a king, acts like a king, acts like the kings of this world. And eventually, he does things his own way and goes against God. And he loses his entire kingship over it. He didn't listen to his calling, nor was he obedient. The third part of that characteristic. But now let's look at David. David, called anointed of God, didn't look like, didn't look like anything that he would be. The smallest runt of the family in terms of it. He was out there uh, shepherding. Matter of fact, he says, you have any other kids? Yeah, but we got David. He's back there. But I mean, it's David. It's David. Going up against Goliath. Yeah, you know, that big guy out there. Everyone else is afraid. Yeah, David's like, I got this. I don't got this. God's got this. How dare you insult my God? He answered his calling. Led Israel. Now was he perfect? I told you, none of these guys are perfect. There's only one perfect, and that's the Lord. But he kept on his calling. Let's compare two more in this, in this list here. Let's look at John, and I'll put John and the apostles together, but there's a slight difference between the two. Because John the apostle, for those who don't know, when you look at the Fox's Book of Martyrs and church history, all those apostles died in absolutely horrible ways. Except John, uh, John the apostle. Now he was exiled and lived to a ripe old age. So I don't want you to think for a second that saying yes means you will not face trials or tribulations or difficulties. Just because you're doing the calling doesn't mean people are going to like you and you're going to get a pass. And things, this is not the health, wealth, health fair gospel preaching moment, okay? It's antithesis, antithesis of who I am. But they followed it. How many people can say in this world for the last 2,000 years they performed an action and will be known in all of history. For as long as the Bible stands, John the Apostle will be known as the Beloved. He'll be known as the one who took care of Jesus' mother, who was there for Jesus at the crucifixion. It was John the apostle, for all history's sake, will be known for that. How about when we don't listen? Let's look at Jonah. I was just mentioning him earlier. Praise God, he actually had a, You ever have that point where you try to go against what God's called you to do? This is what happens. You get Jonah. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to follow your calling. You're not going to do it. So guess what? I'm going to supernaturally impose 
through nature. I'm going to destroy, I'm going to look to destroy the ship. Everyone's going to throw you overboard. You're going to get put in giant serpent, get kicked, or giant sea creature, get kicked back to where I told you to go. He's going to spit you out and you're going to obey me one way or the other. Anyone else have kids? Yeah? Do they listen to you 100% of the time? Don't raise your hand because you know they don't. I'll just be glad if they listen to me today. I have five of them. You saw the little two? Mm-mm. How about Moses? Because everyone says, oh, leave it in a positive example, positive example. Let me give you a negative example so that way it sticks with you. How about Moses? Followed his calling. He was humble. He was called. He was humble. He was obedient. Went through the 40. Now he went through the 40 years because of a lapse of doing what he's supposed to. But did he physically make it into the promised land at the end of those 40 years? No. Because, in my opinion, he quit. He broke faith, is what it says, depending on your version. When called and answering, the answering is not one single day. It is not, I'm going to trust God about being a missionary. I'm going to use my own example. And I'm going to do that. It is a daily reaffirmation of the task that God has given you. Day in and day out. This superintendent doesn't want to deal with us. This lawyer is calling us about this issue. This good news club teacher is not willing to listen. This one's not willing... It feels like a monotonous attack on your life 24-7. And I'm going to tell you, when you do what you're called to do, if you think Satan's just going to say, "Ah, well, you know, that's fine. The answer is no. Every day it feels like you're under attack. But if you put your trust in Christ and Christ alone, you realize the grace he's already given you, and that he's the one who called you, you didn't make that decision, you realize that God has placed you in the position you are as for such a time as this. So the question ultimately is, when we look through this, what are we looking for when it comes to the calling? Because I want to go to the end of my life And the crowns are nice, but they mean nothing to me. I'll throw them back at the feet of Jesus. But I want to hear this. Well done. Good. And faithful servant. That's what I want. So the question I ask you, what are you called to do? What is God placed before you? Maybe it's part of your talents, your skill set. Maybe it's not. But I can tell you this. We are called, each and every one of us, to serve the Lord in the way he has set before us in all eternity past. So I ask you this. Now back to CEF kind of things. Would you consider this? One, please pray for us. As I go about and fulfill my calling, I cannot do it alone. 
I need the prayer support of any and everyone I can get. Because every day is a struggle and a fight. Will we have the funds? Will we not have the funds? Will this person say yes to doing this or not? Will we have to fight with one more district? The average number of districts that I have to work with Liberty Council on is one to two a year. I'm at six. Liberty Council, if you don't know who Liberty Council is, we have them on call in regards to dealing with um, uh, religious, uh, religious speech. Six districts have been sent cease and desists. It's getting harder and harder. So please pray. The second, get informed. Sign up with the newsletter. Sign up for the newsletter. Be informed about what CEF's doing so you know what to pray for, but also on top of that, so that way if God is urging and pushing you to do something, that you go and you do it. Three, ask God to see if serving in CEF is your calling. And fourth, go and do it. Start a club right near you. Willard Elementary has 603 children. When we did a party club in Willard Elementary, we'd have 30 to 40 kids every Easter and Christmas. I had, um, had Doug with me every time. What an experience that could be with 40 kids in that lunchroom. Good thing it was a larger lunchroom. Maybe... It's serving with CE after each boys and girls at a fair and festival to present the gospel to the children sitting down with them. Maybe it is at Hope Fest. We were there for years and years and years. Maybe it's sitting down at one of the summer festivals. And maybe it's serving in a five-day club this summer. You are not too young, teenagers, to serve the Lord period. I do want to end this, and though I'm lean towards CEF and what you can do, understand this doesn't reside just in CEF. This is true for the church here. Do not be the person kicking and screaming to God's calling, because you're going to do it at some point. It's just how hard is it going to be? Are you going to be Jonah are you going to run for all the joy to the calling that God has given you? To run the race as God has given us. Maybe it's to serve on a committee. Maybe it's to reach children. Maybe it's to provide meals. Maybe just ask God. Take time this afternoon, if you have it, make it. Say, Lord, I can't hear. I've had problems hearing you. Take the sin, push it aside as we run this race and say, Lord, please help me to know what you want me to do because I'm yours. I'm yours. Whether it be with CEF or the church or both, God, what do you want me to do? I'm here for you to honor and give you glory. Now, if CEF stuff does interest you, side note, let me know. More importantly, tell Pastor James, because we're going to be meeting here in a week or so. I don't remember the date. It's one of the three days. Make it easy on us. Make it easy on him to know that your interest is there. But let us fulfill the calling that God has done. 
So let's take a moment of prayer and then I'll look to him so I know what's next. <laughs> let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word so we may follow it. Thank you for your son who died on the cross for our sins. Thank you for your love that we may feel it and know it's there. But ultimately, God, thank you for our salvation. May we go about our days living for you and bringing you honor and glory, thinking not of ourselves, but of you first and how you would like us to serve, to fulfill the calling on our lives that you already know we have, but that we simply need your help seeing. May all we think, we say, and we do, Lord, bring honor and glory to you. In your name I pray. Amen.